Okay, we are in 1 Corinthians, working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. We did chapter 6 and part of chapter 7 uh, last week. And uh, one of the things that becomes very clear is that the uh, Bible doesn't mess around, just says what's, what's what. And uh, the Bible uh, is an open, honest book, and it's not like books that humans write. The humans are always sneaking around the corner and trying to get their point of view across. And the Bible just comes out and says, well, there it is. And as we start at chapter 7, we know that these people ask questions about marriage. And that was one of the reasons that Paul was writing to them, was to answer their questions about marriage. And in chapter 7, that's the entire topic. After all, marriage is a topic for all different ages. Uh, it's never been... Oh yeah, we got it. We're all figured out. We got. We know how to do it. Nobody ever said that. From from Adam and Eve to us sitting here today, uh, people say, "Why don't you preach about marriage?" Because I don't know what to tell you. I, uh, I don't know. I can figure it out as I go along, just like most people do, I think. Uh, but this is good advice here in chapter 7, and it's to the point. Sometimes it's more pointed than we're used to hearing. And so Paul will answer these questions, and we looked at the, the beginning few verses last week until we ran out of time. And so we're going to just go over those quickly uh, again. And he said, and we tried it. I wish he, he would have said, here's the questions. He didn't. He said, here's the answers. And so we got to try to figure out the question from the answer. And apparently, they just want to know all about marriage. What about young people? What about old people? What about divorce? What about this? What about that? And they fired a whole bunch of questions at him because he gives a whole bunch of answers here uh, to that question. If you look at chapter 7 that we're in, verse 1, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, or which had to do with marriage, so there was more than one. It is uh, good for a man not to touch a woman. He's talking about uh, sexual relationships and that they are for married people. That's what they're for, all right? And so uh, he says... First of all, in the marriage relationship, uh, he says what's, what you want to remember is that God gave two married people uh, sexual responses. And he says that's where they belong. That's where God gave them, inside the bonds of marriage. And he said they were created for the pleasure of man and woman. And he says, you are not to use them against each other. You are to use them as if one owns the other person and the other person owns them. He says, that's how they are to be used. And never to be used as some sort of leverage, but they're to be used honestly. And he says, you are not to shut another person off. That's not how it goes, all right? And so... He said, another thing, it's good to be unmarried. 
it's okay to be unmarried. And that's sort of a cultural uh, thing that's come through the ages in both sides of things. Both sides of things. Um, there is certainly pressure in a lot of places for people to get married. You gotta get married, come on. You're, you're old enough to get married, let's go. <laughs> and uh, he says, don't, don't do that. It's okay to be unmarried, he says. There's nothing wrong with it. There's not something wrong with you if you don't get married. It's okay. Matter of fact, he says it can be quite useful. We'll get to that in a minute. He said, however, if there is no control, if you can't control it, if you haven't got self-control, and you're apt to, and he uses the word burn, uh, kind of like that's a pretty good word to describe the desire for another person. He says, if you're burning up a desire, get married. He says, don't sit there and do that. And I've had some pretty strange conversations about that. <laughs> oh, wow. As people come along and try to think of excuses to do what they want to do. And uh, it's uh, not, of course, what the intent is that you can use this as an excuse. It's just a saying that there is a natural drive in some people you want to be with a person the opposite sex says get married all right do that whatever uh, that's fine he says there's nothing wrong with that so you can be married not wrong to be married or unmarried all right either one of those is wrong but then he comes out very clearly last week is do not divorce do not divorce he says you need to avoid that, not to do that, all right? Make sure you don't do that, all right? And so, uh, verse 10, I say to the married, I command yet not I, but the Lord let not the wife depart from her husband, all right? And so, he says that to both men and wife, but if she depart, let her remain unmarried and be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. And that's where we ended last week. All right. So he said, don't divorce. If it happens, don't get remarried. That's what he says here. All right. Now we'll go on where we pick up where we left off in verse 12. And he's still on the same topic for another uh, 30 verses. And so uh, we got lots more that he's going to talk about for us. Here we go in verse 12. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. And so right away, people say, well, I don't have to listen to it because it's just Paul. He's writing the Bible, all right? Don't look for a way to escape it. It's right there in front of you, all right? He's giving advice, and he says, uh, this is the way I feel. And he'll say later that God is in agreement with me. All right, the rest I speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. All right, so he says, if you're in a situation uh, where one of you is a Christian and one of you is not, 
One of you is a Christian, one of you is not. If the person that's not a Christian wants to stay married, then stay married. All right? He said, don't just say, well, he's not a Christian, I'm out of here. All right? Don't do that. He says, stay married. And here's why, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. So he says, here's the relationship that he's talking about. If a person lives with somebody who is not a believer, he says there's a sanctification. Now, it's not sanctification like we normally talk about in the Bible. What is it? Sanctified, to be sanctified means to be set apart, uh, to be separated. And so he says the family that's not balanced, one of them is not either one, it can be man or the woman, is not a believer in Christ. You stick with them, as long as they're willing, you stay with them. And he will sanctify the family. And what he means to say is that God looks down and God will help that family. And I've seen it uh, on both sides, but lots of times with women who believe and men who don't. I've seen it where their family and their children come out okay in the end. And it's just because God's helping. So he says, if you believe and your mate doesn't stick with it and do your part, live the way you should, and God will help your family. So that's a very important thing for us all. We want God to help our family. Right? That's what we really want. Make sure God blesses our family. And so he says, that's what you do, you stick. But, verse 15, if the unbeliever believing depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So he says, if you're in that situation, he says, stay married if everybody's in agreement. If they leave, don't fight it. Don't fight it. Let there be peace. Right? Let there be peace. Don't fight it. He says, if an unbelieving person decides to depart, let it go. All right, verse 15 again. Unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. All right, so if you're unmarried now, or basically I would say divorced because the unbelieving person left, he said, then you are not in a bondage. You are free. As long as it wasn't you that did it. Okay? You are free, he says. And then he mentions verse 16. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? All right? We don't know. We do the best we can to try to live in front of people who don't believe. And uh, that's why I really, really encourage people when the, before they're getting married, you make sure, make sure you're married to a believing person. Because there's a, there's a wall ahead that 
can be when it's the opposite. He said, you don't know if you're going to buy your behavior saved a person. And I usually tell people before they get married, that take a good look at them. You know, they're going <laughs> to they're going to be what they are. They're not going to become some whole new person because you married them all of a sudden. You know, I'll marry you and you'll be Prince Charming. No, you ain't no. If he's nasty, he's going to be probably nasty. If he's hard-headed, he's probably going to be hard-headed. It goes both ways. All right? And so he says, uh, uh, you don't know if you're going to save that person. All right? Now, Verse 17, and this is where <clears throat> he tries to describe things that are not necessarily easy to understand. Verse 17, as God has distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk, and so I ordain I in all churches. So he says, you came to know the Lord Jesus. Whatever condition you were in when that happened, stick with it. Don't say, well, I got to change everything, get divorced and do this and that. He says, no, no, stick with it. However it was, I mean, obviously he's not talking about, all right, if you're beating your wife every day, keep going. All right. It's not, it's not what he means. All right. He's saying, if you're married, or now he's going to explain it better. Verse 18, is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. So what he says is you're a Jew. You were circumcised the day you were eight days after you were born, exactly. And uh, so you're a Jew, all right? So you say, well, I'm gonna marry somebody and I'm not gonna live like I'm circumcised. Don't, just stay the way you are. If you're uncircumcised, don't run around and say, I gotta get circumcised. Of course, we don't talk, of, that's a cultural thing. It was a commandment to the Jews, but it's become not that at all anymore. But for them, it was very much a dividing line. I said, well, this is who I am. I'm circumcised. Well, then stay that way. You uncircumcised, stay the way you are. When God came, called you, and found you, stay the way you are. Verse 20, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. That thou, if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. All right, so it says if you were called and you were a servant. Don't say, yeah, I got to get out of the servanthood now. Got to find a way to get free. He said, if you can be free, good. He said, but don't figure that I got to change my situation. 22, for he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. <laughs> Likewise, also, he is called being free is Christ's servant. So he says, if you're a servant, you're owned by another person. He says, don't try to get out. You understand, for in Christ, you're free. He says, if you're a free man, then you, here's how you think about it. I'm going to serve, become a servant to Christ. All right. That's a little complicated, but what he's saying is, look, he says, don't struggle in the situation you're in once you're saved. 
do the best you can with whatever it is. All right, and do what you can. Verse 23, you are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Or in other words, I'm not here to serve any person but Christ. If I work for somebody, I do my best for that person. It's the way we ought to have that to be so. But he says, uh, remember, somebody paid for you, Christ. He bought you. So you're always going to be his servant. So you'll always be a servant no matter what. Verse 24, brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. So they were asking questions as far as I can see. Well, what do we do if some Jewish person comes in and they're circumcised and we're not? No, 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 no. Don't worry about it. However God called you, whether you're a servant, whether you're a slave, whether you're circumcised, whether you're married to an unbeliever or not, however God called you, say, all right, God called me here. I'm going to live here unless the door opens and something changes. Be satisfied with the way you are when you were called. And I think that probably among these people, uh, they'd get ready to get married and they'd be absolutely in a tizzy. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? We gotta fix this somehow. Don't fix it. <laughs> Just work with it, all right? And now here's probably the next question, uh, verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that obtaineth mercy of the Lord to be faithful. So they've asked him now about unmarried ladies. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound to a wife? Seek not to be loose. Art thou loose from the wife? Seek not a wife. But if thou, but, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, shall such have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. And he's talking about, this is really hard uh, to understand, because he's talking about a cultural uh, problem. And he says, it's, it's going to be hard. You want to know if your young daughters should get married? Your young daughters, or you have a young sister, or something, you want to know if they should. And he says, uh, there is a present distress is what he calls it. Now, you and I have no idea what that's all about, all right? I mean, we have stresses in cultural situations, but not like they did, all right? They were uh, driven from place to place. Look at Paul. I mean, he got uh, beaten three times with rods. He got stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked, all kinds of bad things serving the Lord. And if you lived in Jerusalem and you were a Christian, they said, we'll fix you. Uh, we blackball you. You're a plumber. We're not going to hire you. You're a basket maker. You're a carpenter. We're not going to hire you. So they blackballed the people all around Jerusalem until they nearly starved to death. So if you're a Christian then, in those days, you got a tough life. And so he's saying to these 
young married ladies or unmarried ladies, okay, if you want to get married, it's not wrong, but what you better know, it's tough times to live, hard times, and you're really going to fight a fight. And so uh, he said, it may be better if you don't. Verse 28, but if thou marry, thou hast not sinned, the Virgin Mary, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. This I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. As they that weep, as though they wept not. As they that rejoice, as though they rejoice not. As they that buy, as though they possess not. As they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passes away. They were living in a society, and he said, the Lord's coming quick, so you better be focusing on that. And if you think to yourself, uh, oh, I'm so sad, never mind. Take care of business. Get right with God. Do what God wants done. That's what he's saying, he says. And so uh, I want you to recognize that in life, it's going to be hard. And they did. You understand that uh, within a hundred years after Christ, they were feeding Christians to lions. You know, that's not fun. All right, you go into the lions. All right, feed them to the lions. That's what they were going to do with uh, uh, one of the polycarps. Well, we'll feed you to the lions unless you deny Christ. He said, what, only one? <laughs> He's a wonderful fellow. And he said, okay, we'll burn you. He said, go ahead, burn me. And they burned him. They lit the big pile of wood on fire and they burned him to death. It was a tough time to live. They were living underground in Rome, living in the catacombs underground, trying to survive, stay out of sight so they could just live. So it's a tough time to be married, right? Hard times coming, as he's saying. Hard times coming. And so he warns them. You know, if you get married, it's okay, all right? It's okay. But uh, here's the thing, verse 32. I would have you <coughs> without carefulness. He that is unmarried cares for the things belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married cares for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Right? So he says, if you get married in these times, uh, you got to take care of your wife or your husband. You got to, that's a responsibility for you. And it's a whole lot harder than like he's doing. He doesn't care what happens to him, throw me in prison or whatever. And so he views it that way. 34, there's a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she that is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And so the marriage relationship is, has to be respected wherever it is. It's got to be respected. And he said, don't tell anybody. They got to get married uh, because it may come out a lot easier if you don't. Verse 35. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, that you may attend upon the Lord without distractions. So he says, if you're a young lady and you're thinking, should I get married? And you can 
figure out a way to work and serve the Lord and get through life that way, he said, that's a good thing, all right? Uh, and that, <coughs> don't feel bad about that. 36, if any man think that he be saveth himself uncomely towards his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and need so require, let him do what he will. He sinneth not, let them marry. So he says, if you got this young lady and she comes to you and says, you know, I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting older. I'm kind of worried about getting older. And uh, I, I need help and I want to be married. And probably the reason that would come up is because they, she wants to have children before she gets too old. And he says, marry her. It's okay. You marry her. You didn't do anything wrong. If she comes and says, look, it's, I'm <laughs> passing the flower of my age. <laughs> it's a nice way to put it, right? <laughs> passing the flower of your age. I, that's, that flower has dried up a long time ago. Right? <laughs> Pass up the flower of our age. Well, he says, that comes along. It's okay. Be married. That's all right. And so he's trying to impress on them. I didn't say get married. I didn't say don't get married. I said, it's your situation. You got to figure out how you want to live. All right, so you don't have to be married. No rule says you do, but if you are, you're okay. Nothing wrong with that either. Nevertheless, 37, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, hath power over his own will, and has so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doth well. So then he giveth her in marriage doth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doth better. Right? He says, if your daughter or whoever, your sister, daughter, or whatever, uh, can make it okay, all right, good for you. You've kept her out of a situation. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she's at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. So he says, if, if a, a husband dies, a wife can be remarried. It's okay. Just make sure you marry someone who believes. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. I think also I have the spirit of God. So if you're thinking, oh, Paul was just giving his opinion, he just whacked you good. Got it? He said, I got the spirit of God in me talking to me. So take my advice, all right? When you view marriage, it's not a bunch of, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's not what it is. You've got to look at the situations that life brings. You've got to decide how you want to live. Understand that marriage is a responsibility that you have for the rest of your life. You don't just get to throw it out. He said you can't do that and be right. All right. So you've got to pay attention. Make sure these things are given thought. And how you are going to live the rest of your life? He says, I recommend that you be unmarried like me. I can serve the Lord in a million ways, he says. But uh, he says, if you are married, don't let anybody tell you it's the wrong thing to do. All right, so we had quite a lot of comments about being married having to do with the way these people were living in Corinth, not unlike probably the way our society is today, where it is death. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. And if we got any problem at all, we don't have to fix it. We just get rid of them. And that's 
He said, man, don't do that. Whatever you do, he said, that is not the intention of God. God intended for people to be married and that that would be a happy experience and you have it. Good. Good for you. I'm glad you got it. All right. So don't divorce. And I always tell people uh, marriage is God's idea and God never had a bad idea. And he's the one that said, here's the way it's going to be. I'm going to unite a man and a woman together in marriage. It's going to be a great idea. It's a good idea. And so uh, remember, God never had a bad idea. God joins people together. People say, how do you know your wife was the right one? I don't know how. I just God said, I wanted that one. <laughs> and God said, all right. I think she wants you too. Lucky for you. So there we are. All right. And it's, it's almost what, 47 years. That's, it's been a good plan. We know God did the right thing. All right. Now, just to look quickly at this same topic, Jesus Christ comments on it. Because he does comment on it. Over in the book of Matthew, chapter number 19, Jesus Christ makes some comments too. Because he is asked these same kind of questions. Matthew chapter 19. We'll look and see what he says. Because <coughs> he's, he's always the best. And of course, what... Paul is explaining is this right here. Jesus can say things in such a concise manner. And when I advise young preachers sometimes, I said, don't ever forget uh, brevity is the soul of wit. Uh, your big long speeches <laughs> don't show you're smart. Usually it does the opposite. Uh, and there's nobody who's better at that than Jesus. So here it is. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 3. Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause, or that I can divorce my wife for any reason I feel like it? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he was made them at the beginning, made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Or he says, It was God's idea what? that people should be married. Therefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. That pretty well answers that, and we end every wedding ceremony with that sentence. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. I don't do it. <clears throat> and so they say unto him, because they're trying to trick him up, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And there was a time that Moses said, okay, you can write a divorcement and put her away. And he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wife. From, from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Right. So he says, the bond is still there. He said, you can 
put your wife away if she cheats. He says, that's the thing. Uh, if she cheats and, and breaks the marriage bond. That doesn't mean you have to. And I've advised people, we can maybe fix this. Let's do the best we can. Right? And you don't have to. But that is something that Jesus said. Uh, but he said, divorce came because you were so hard-hearted. You were so hard to get along with. You were so miserable. And uh, people couldn't stand each other. He said, that's why Moses made divorce, because you refused to work it out. You refused. And that hasn't changed at all today. All right, so Jesus' comments go right along with Paul's. Of course, his main point is that, okay, uh, God planned for marriage to be like it is. Right? And it's not a bad thing. All right, now we go to chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We've touched on a lot of things concerning marriage. Chapter 8. Now, he's answering questions. He comes to another question that they have asked. And he's going to answer this question. Now, as touching things offered unto idols. And so, this question was, uh, if we go to market to buy meat, we'll buy some meat at the market. Uh, a lot of the meat that we go and purchase in Corinth there. There's a sign on it that says, this has been offered uh, to whoever, some idol. And so, so you'll know ahead of time, it's holy meat. We offered it to that idol. <laughs> and they said, well, when we go to the market, we look at that sign, we don't know what to do. We don't know what we should do with that. Should we buy that meat or not? And so, uh, here we go. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. If man think he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. So, he says, if you think you know everything, make sure we add this. You don't know nothing. Right. You think you know everything, you think you got all the answers. You think you know what needs to happen. And so you come out and you say, well, let me tell you about this idle meat. I got the answers. And he said, you don't know nothing. Shut your mouth. You don't know nothing. Because knowledge puffeth up. Or we get cocky and we think we know it all. And that's a pretty interesting comment to me because occasionally I run across authors, occasionally I run across preachers who always come back to knowledge and they say well if you guys out there in radio land will get with it and really learn the things you need to learn uh, then you'll be all right, but until you do, you probably won't. And uh, I had a good friend of mine started going to a church, and 
I said, well, how's it going over there? Well, we're learning the things we're supposed to learn. And, and he said, we're getting way ahead, everybody, because we're learning the right thing. Well, I'd like to think they had a good attitude about it, but I'm afraid that sometimes knowledge puffeth up. And I heard a guy speaking on worship the other day. He said, we worship in spirit and in truth, and half the Christians of the world don't know anything, so they're not worshipers. That's a pretty cocky thing to say. All right. And that's really to miss the point. That's the idea here. So he says, some people are going to think, we know about this idol thing. We got it all figured out. Well, let's see. Maybe you don't. All right. Verse 3. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. So, he says you got two kinds of people, and uh, he uses it in this particular point. You got people who say, knowledge is everything, we got to have knowledge, and then he says, other people say, well, love is everything, and uh, he says, there's the one you want to be at. Because the people who love, God loves them. That's why when I hear a preacher say, hey, you can't really worship until you know all the facts about God. Humbug. If there ever was an arrogant thing to say, that was it. Yeah, we want to learn all we can about God, all right? But a person who lifts his heart up in worship to God doesn't need to be a genius. can be people like me and look up and say, oh, God. You're wonderful. I love what you've done for me. I thank you for what you've done for me. You don't need to be have all the answers. And so he's being very careful here because uh, probably in Corinth there were people doing this. Now let me tell you about this idol stuff. And he said, I don't like your attitude. So let's go over it. See the way it should be. As concerning verse 4, therefore the eating of those things that are offered and sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, we in him, one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all are all things, and we by him. So, so here's the fact. That idol's just a stick of wood. That idol you made nothing but a stick of wood. Well, I made mine out of, out of metal. Well, he's a hunk of metal then, right? He's nothing. He can't talk, he can't see, he can't hear prayers, he's zero. And so you say, well, that's a God. No, it's not, it's a hunk of wood. So it's not a God. So you say, well, that meat there was offered to Apollos or whatever, whoever. He goes, there's no such person. There's only one God, Jesus Christ, his son, that's the only God there is. And so they say, well, that hunk of meat was offered to that idol, so I better not eat it. He said, I'm telling you the truth, the idol is nothing. He's less than nothing, all right? He's just a hunk of metal, a hunk of wood, a hunk of brass, whatever you made of That's There's only one God. That's God in heaven, Jesus Christ, his son. 
Verse 7. Howbeit, there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. There are people who grew up in Corinth who every day of their life said some little prayer to that idol they walked by. They believed in that idol. They grew up and were told by grandma and grandpa and mom and dad and everybody else, you pray to that idol. And so they did. And they carried a little one around in their neck and they did every other thing because they were told that's the way it is. Now you're a Christian, you come along and you say, eh, don't worry about that. And that poor fellow, he's thinking, he's telling me not to worry about it, but <laughs> I spent my whole life doing that. So what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so he gets his conscience in trouble. Verse 8. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. And God doesn't look down and say, what kind of meat you got on your plate there? <laughs> what are you eating that for? Don't you know any better than that? Oh. God's not like that. God's not doing that. But verse 9, take heed, lest if any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. You've got somebody just coming into the faith, just beginning to come to church and understand things, and he's just beginning to learn, and you say to him, watch this. You grab a big old steak and... Ah, He's going, oh, I was offered to an idol. He said, don't do that. Don't let your liberty, he said, because I know, I know what's right. No, don't let that be a stumbling block to somebody who's learning and growing. Right? And so uh, that's what we got to watch out here. Verse 10, for if any man see thee which hath knowledge, Sit at meat in the idol's temple. Tell not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. And he said, I mean, you could go right there in the market and buy a, a leg of a lamb or whatever and sit down and eat it right there. You know, and you'd say, that idol's nothing. But this guy watching you, he's shaking his head. Boy, <gasps> oh, I don't like doing that. I don't want to do that. Uh, and he says, so don't, you've got to restrict your behavior in another way. All right? And here it is. Verse 11. Through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. So when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. <gasps> wow. God was working in the people in Corinth and trying to help them to get along. And he says, if you wound them, if you hurt their conscience by the things that you do, and that can happen in any way, you know. What if... Somebody says, I know that I'm not supposed to drink alcohol. And you say, yeah, it's, you can, it's okay. <gasps> Watch me. You can really mess a person up with that. Really mess a person up. 
And they'll say, I don't know what to think now. He's supposed to be the hot Christian, and he's over there drinking. And so, and so he says, watch what you do. Because there's people who are trying to learn and to grow and make decisions. And don't you just say, I'm free, I can do whatever I want, and off you go. That's not how it works. So here's the eight law. Now remember I was told you there was a six, eight, ten law. Six, eight, ten law, we called it. Uh, you remember six law? I know that was like two weeks ago. All right, the six, eight, ten law comes from chapter six of First Corinthians, chapter eight, and then chapter ten. All right, in chapter six, he says, All things are lawful, but all things are not wise. All right? So you're going to say, well, I can do what I want. And he says, is it wise? Do you think it's a wise way, a wise choice? Well, uh, and he says, and all things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. All right? So he says, if I'm going to do something and it's going to addict me, and going to control my life, then I've got to stay away from it. So the first law of behavior, you ask yourself, is it wise? Will it control me? Will it bury me? And that can cover a lot of things. can cover something like alcohol or, or drugs. can cover marriage. All right? can cover a marriage. Is it wise for you to take that step? Is it expedient? Uh, and so you have to say, all right, I want to make wise choices. I want to make sure that I don't get doing something that absolutely controls the way I live. All right, that's the sixth principle. Here's the eighth principle. If anything I do, if it offends, Verse 13, therefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. The eighth principle is I will not offend. I will not offend. So my behavior is going to be controlled by that, too. Not just what's wise and what controls me, but I'm not going to do things that are offensive to other people. I'm going to control my behavior by that thing. Now in chapter 10, there's going to be another one. And when we get that far, there'll be another one to tell us, all right, here's the thing you need to control your behavior. So we're being told through these uh, examples, right? Well, what do you do with meat offered to idol? And you say, when I went to Tops, there was none of that meat was offered to an idol. I ain't got to worry about that, right? It's true, all right? That's gone now. It's not an issue. It's a cultural issue he's dealing with today. But there are still plenty of things that offend. And we can't go ahead and do something that's offensive just because we're free to do it. We've got to learn not to offend people. Tough thing. It's a hard thing to do. Hard not to offend. Hard to be thinking all the time. Is this offensive? Is this going to hurt somebody? Is this going to uh, 
what he says, make the weak brother perish. He's going to turn around and say, I don't know. I'm too confused about things. I just can't handle it. So he says, if you think you know everything, you don't. <laughs> you don't know everything. You really don't. And then you say, I know that idol's nothing, and I can eat that meat. Well, maybe to you, but how about him? How about the guy watching you? How about him? And lots of things apply that way. Your language, the language you use, very much part of that. All right? People hear certain words come out of your mouth. Yeah, is that, I don't know. Is that's, man, I don't think that's right. All right? I, that bothers me. Well, then don't let that word come out of your mouth. You've got to control it. Because that's the thing you don't know. You go anywhere, you know. And that's very much a judgment that people have. They're listening to us, listening to our speech. I had for years people listening to my speech. They'd find out that I was a minister. And uh, they'd swear and they'd, oh, sorry. I never said anything, but they were watching and listening. They knew I didn't, and they listened to see if I did lots of times. And then after, some people, after they knew me for a couple of months, and then they'd say, oh, uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> and try to change the word. You know, yeah, good, all right, all right. So we uh, can offend people, and that's, he says, if your behavior needs to be controlled, that's where you need to have a thing. So is it wise? Will it control me? If so, I'm not going to do it. Is it offending other people? If so, I'm not going to do it. So you say, what's this? Meat to idols is nothing to us. No, it's not. That's not anything to us. But being offensive is. And so that's the lesson that we learn here. And the marriage thing is uh, we got to look at what God says. And God says, here's why I created it. That it would be a joy to you. And a pleasure it was my idea. I hope you like what I gave you. All right. If it takes people apart, then we got to do the best we can. All right. But don't you be the divider. All right. Don't you be the divider, he said. If they choose, we can't stop them. But don't you be the divider. And then he says, make sure, make sure you know. If you're ever going to be married, make sure that that person is a believer. Make sure. So it's good advice that he gives us here. Lots of different things to think about that you say most of us don't have to think about it. Well, we all got to think about our behavior being offensive and the things we do being wise. We want to be able to say our decisions are wise. We're making good decisions, making wise choices. That's a very important thing, all right? And there'll be one more coming up, and that'll give you a trio of things to control the way we respond to people and how we act, all right? And that'll come in chapter 10. We've done chapter uh, 7 and 8 tonight. We'll go 9 and maybe get to 10 uh, next week, maybe not quite that far. Thank you.